Peace. How many times have we already heard the word this morning? Peace. Peace. <clears throat> Those of you who grew up in the, in the 60s and early 70s, peace was our big uh, mantra. Peace. We were going to bring peace to the world. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Peace is an elusive issue, an elusive subject. What does it mean? Is peace the absence of conflict locally, nationally, globally? Is peace controlled conflict in a certain area? Or is peace a foggy illusion that nothing is wrong? It's one of those subjects that is very difficult to explain, but it's very easy to understand it when it happens. Sometimes, especially in the European cities, we see people who live in what we would call squalor. And we think, well, why would they live there? Well, it's better than living where bombs will fall on your head. So for them, it's peaceful. Now, if we listen to the Christmas carols, if we listen to Johnny Mathis, Elvis Presley, the great uh, choirs that sing at Christmas, we get the idea that peace flooded the world when Christ was born, the arrival of the Prince of Peace. But I have to ask the question, did it? Did it? And what does the scripture say about this peace that seems to be so elusive? When the shepherds received the message from the angels, do you think they had peace? I doubt it. I think they were scared to death. Look at this passage in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. <clears throat> now remember, <clears throat> these are not exactly your rocket scientists out on the hillside. This is a group of men guarding sheep and uh, staying with them 24 hours a day. And it says, and in the same fields there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. <clears throat> and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Perhaps they had more excitement than peace. When the wise men received a message in their country to leave that country and travel to Israel to discover the new king of the Jews, did they have peace? I wonder. I don't know. When King Herod heard that there was a new king born, a king of the Jews, did he have peace? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, in a short time, he sought to kill him. So where is the peace that is accompanied by the birth of Christ? Where is it? Aside from the Psalms, aside from the carols. 
And what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say of peace? One of the things that I have always adored about the scripture is that they are brutally honest. Brutally honest. Difficult, but honest. The blood, guts, and dirt of the world stain every page of the scripture. Honest stories of flawed people living in a broken world requiring us to be honest as we read them. We do not need to deny the reality and hide behind religious platitudes that delude us into thinking that it is better in the world than it is, because it's not. 15 minutes on CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch will tell us that. Yet there is a message of peace all the way through the scripture, worldwide and individual peace that is either on the hold for the future or is available this minute. The Bible declares that one day there will be peace, worldwide peace. God himself will assure this. Sin in all its rebellious forms will be done away with. And humans will live in peace. I could, I could cite a multitude of scriptures for that, but I'm not going to, not this morning. What I would like to do this morning is talk about the peace that is offered to individuals. Now, when I say the scripture is brutally honest, that means that I prefer the position that we often find with a glass of water. Just imagine that you can see through there and the glass is half filled. So the optimist will say, what's in the glass? And it'll say, the glass is half full. The pessimist will say, the glass is half empty. The realist will say, there's water in the glass. There's water in the glass. And I like that. And I like that. I don't want to talk about peace with the conflicts that rage around the world all today, or even the conflicts that might enter our lives this afternoon. Okay? the scripture say about peace I offer you this morning that there are three aspects of peace that are offered to the individual peace with God false peace and the peace of God and they're very very different to begin with Romans chapter 5 verse 1 makes a statement that is astounding but it's only astounding if you've been through chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Chapter 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, all right. Well, so? Well, it's not that big of a so. Because when you read chapters 1, 2, and 3, you realize that humanity is in a bad position with their relationship with God extremely bad, one that is on the, the, the pathway to eternal damnation. And it, he, he finishes that part in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have rejected, they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even 
1. This peace that is declared in Romans chapter 5 is a judicial peace. It's a judicial peace. God as judge looks on humanity and pardons those who accept his solution to the problem. It's a judicial peace, a peace between two parties, two armies, two peoples who are initially at war with one another. A peace which arrives due to the work of Christ on the part of the believer. Now the immediate response normally is, well, I've never been at war with God. I've never burned down a church. I've never broken windows. Uh, it gets a little bit worse than that. Look at chapter 5 in Romans, verse 10. It says there, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Enemies. A person who is not born again is an enemy of God. I don't like that, but that's what the scripture declares. Perhaps they are on a path, but they need to cross over that line of saying yes to Jesus Christ. So the justified believer is no longer at war with God. He or she is at peace with God and will never, ever be separated from Almighty God because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Not what he or she does after they become a believer, but because of what Jesus did. Peace with God. And then there's false peace. Now, I wish I didn't have to talk about this, but Jesus did. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Not as the world gives. Jesus explains that his peace is not like the world's. This ought to lead us to ask the question, well, what peace does the world give? I can remember after I was first coming to this church and learning the scriptures, that I would hear some people say, well, these people who are outside of Christ are so miserable. They're just, they're just awful. And I used to think, well, I know quite a few people who are outside of the body of Christ who are not miserable. As a matter of fact, they leave pretty, leave pretty decent lives. Everything seems fine for the moment, but they're not unhappy. They're not unhappy. And we need to be very careful about looking at things through our lens of Scripture. God says there's a problem. We don't need to exorbitate that problem and make it worse. But there is a false peace. And the false peace turns around any philosophy, any action, any group or religion that offers tranquility outside of the presence of Christ. Let me be clear. I'm not talking about meeting deadlines. I'm not talking about keeping an agenda. I'm not talking about ending the month just where you want or ending the week and everything is fine. I'm not talking about responsible living. A false peace arrives when the teaching of Christ and his presence are replaced by alcohol replaced by a sense of superiority, replaced by 
the approval of peers, replaced by a job, a spouse, drugs, a religion, a house, a car, anything can be put in there. It's a false peace. It will only last for a while, if at all. The world offers these goodies and guarantees peace if we have them. It's a false peace. The third peace the scripture speaks about is the peace of God. The peace of God. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. And he repeats it in 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So what's he talking about with this peace that is permanent in a believer's life? Turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to take a look at this peace that is available to every believer in Jesus Christ immediately and permanently. The peace of God is a calm assurance, a refuge, a resting place, all with eternity in mind. The peace of God is not the occasional joy, happiness, that we experience in daily living. The peace of God is supernatural, a peace that surpasses all comprehension. The peace of God guards the believer's heart. It is not automatic. It is not automatic. It's a peace that rests with a believer as long as certain conditions are filled, and we're going to see that. Philippians chapter 4. There's a problem in the group, in the assembly, in the church at Philippi that Paul addresses. And it's a problem between two women there. We don't know exactly what the problem was. Verses 1 through 3 explains a little bit to us. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, I urge Euodia. And I urge Syndica to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what do we have? We don't know much more about these two ladies. What we do know is that there was some tension between them. For some reason, we don't know. And Paul even asks that someone give them a hand. He notes that their names are written in the book of life, so through personal experience, he must know that they're believers. The solution that is proposed is to eventually arrive in a state of peace which surpasses all understanding, but it's not automatic. Between verses 4 and 6, there are four conditions which are necessary to reach the supernatural peace. Verse 4, rejoicing in the Lord always. Verse 5, 
the presence of a forbearing spirit. Verse 6, rejecting anxiety. And verse 6, prayer. And what happens in verse 7? Supernatural peace arrives. The peace of God for the believer in Jesus Christ is the result of spiritual discipline. The peace with God is a result of what Christ did. Now the walk begins. And you know as well as I, it is so easy to lose that peace as we move through life. The peace of God for the believer in Jesus Christ is the result of spiritual discipline. Let's look at these four conditions. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, that sounds rather easy. Three songs, Sunday morning, and then go out, get in the car, watch the Eagles this afternoon, and things will be fine. Well, it's not as easy as it sounds. When all goes well, it's not too bad. But what happens when the bottom begins to fall out and totally evaporates? Totally evaporates. What happens if an army comes in and displaces us from one country to another? which hasn't happened in America, but I live in a country where it has. And the older generation has never forgotten it. Okay. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he is God. And he is sovereign over all of his creation. He knows the exact details of his children's lives, even the number of hairs on their head. So we can rejoice we can rejoice no matter what happens. Verse 5 talks about a forbearing spirit. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And the word forbearing suggests a gentle, kind, and understanding spirit. The opposite of vengeance, animosity, or anger. A spirit that is seen by the world around us not just a group of people for two hours on Sunday morning. It reminds me of the application of Ephesians 4.30 when he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give strength to those who hear. Why this behavior? Because the Lord is near. That's what he says at the end of the verse. The Lord is near. Now, the uh, application of this, or interpretation, if you will, is wide open. What does he mean? Does he mean that the Lord could return at any moment? Any moment? Uh, at 12.30? At 4 o'clock this afternoon? In 2,000 years? Yes, it could mean that. The Lord is near, and we don't want to get caught with our hand in a cookie jar. Or does it mean the Lord is right there beside you because he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I don't want to fight with my brother or sister in the Lord because the Lord is right there, right there. And he hears every word. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What an impossibility. 
What a ridiculous statement. Be anxious for nothing. Doesn't he understand what's coming this week? Doesn't he understand I have to go to work tomorrow? Doesn't he understand I have to fly back Thursday to France? Be anxious for nothing. No. No. I thought he was sovereign. I thought the God that the believer now is in communion with is sovereign. He is. That's why I should not worry. Why do I have headaches? Why does my stomach hurt? Because I am not leaning on him. And he says, make known your needs by prayer. Instead of worrying, pray to the Lord who is over all. He sees and feels everything, even if he doesn't move when we want him to. Let me read you a devastating verse in Exodus. When God called Moses, it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, this is what God wanted Moses to do. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. For how long? 400 years. 400 years. They made bricks day after day after day. 400 years. Where are you, God? Why have you abandoned us? He didn't abandon them. God moves when he wants to move. And we need, believers need, to find our peace in the fact that he sees, he hears, and we can trust him. The response for worry is prayer, real prayer. When we tell the Lord, did you see that? And then search a verse that says he sees everything. Did you hear that? And then we look for a verse that says he hears everything. And we add thanksgiving to it, which is an acknowledgement of his sovereignty. Thanking him for everything, whether I like it or not whether I like it or not. We don't slink down in our easy chair and say, why me? Poor me, it shouldn't have happened to me. First, Pierre, uh, <coughs> First Peter chapter five, verse seven. <laughs> Casting your cares upon him, for he cares for you. When I cast, I don't carry. If I have not casted, I carry. So if you ask me what I'm worried about, that will tell you, if I give you an honest answer, which I won't, that will tell you what I haven't casted. Cast it upon him. Get rid of it. Let him carry it. And verse 7, finally, finally, peace arrives. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Supernatural, inexplicable peace which surpasses all understanding. Finally, a peace which can only be experienced, not necessarily defined. Have you ever been in a situation with someone else and it's a, a horrible situation? I mean, I couldn't even begin to describe it. Just imagine the worst possible uh, <clears throat> situation you can think of and the person you're with 
is in perfect peace. That is really unnerving. That is really unnerving. But that should be believers. Perfect peace no matter what. God, through his peace, watches over the hearts and emotions of his children. Verse 8 <clears throat> shows us where the battleground is for the believer. It's the mind. What we let in is what we will get out. If we win the battle in our minds, then our bodies will follow. And this calls for immediate judgment of everything we see and hear. Finally, brethren, <clears throat> whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there are any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That just knocks out 95% of what we watch and listen to. And I'm as guilty as anyone else. We got to be careful. We have to be always on guard for what goes in by the eye gate, the mouth gate, and the ear gate. And he finishes with verse 9 saying, You saw all this in me. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So, our brutally honest Bible tells us there will be world peace one day. Not yet. Not yet. It also tells us that not any person can have peace in their life, no matter the situation, if they come to Christ by faith and then follow these four conditions that are listed in Philippians chapter 4. Right now, for always. Isaiah 26.3, I think, was quoted at the beginning of the service. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. And that, my friends, is the verse that got my wife and I through four years of cancer. Perfect peace. May the Lord help us to enjoy the holidays and not forget where peace actually comes from, from him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for your presence. We are grateful to you for your promises. We are grateful to you for an understanding of scripture that does not lead us astray because what you said will happen will happen, but we can experience right now in our hearts perfect peace. And I praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.